I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, for the sermon entitled, What is Your Life? What is your life? James chapter 4, he's telling us three things. Stop fighting. We've covered that. Stop slandering. We covered that this morning. Tonight, stop boasting. And of all the parts of the book of James, there's a verse in here. Tonight, you're going to see it. And when I come to it in just a moment, you're going to say, oh, I know that verse. And you do. You've read it. You thought about it. You may have memorized it. This is a very important message for us. It's about time and the passage of time and how we spend our time. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the topic of time. And of all the things that the Bible has to say about time, the most important thing is this. Time is limited. It is limited. It can be used or it can be wasted. It can be invested or it can be squandered. Here's one thing that's true. No matter whether you waste it, use it, invest it, or squander it, it is never repeated. The sands fall out of the hourglass in only one direction. Time is always running out. The Bible says there is a time for everything, a time to be born a time to die, a time to laugh, and a time to cry, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time to plant, and a time to harvest. We are all slaves to time. In the old days, we wrote letters, and then we made phone calls, and then we sent email. And now it's all texting. We're slaves to time. You go anywhere. When I travel to the airport, Walked up and down the halls, the airport, going to my gate. If there's 50 people there, there'll be 50 people looking down like this on their cell phones. We're hooked up. We're connected. We're slaves to time. Let me ask you a question tonight. How much time do you have left? How much time do you have left? Let me say that another way. How much longer do you think you're going to live. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's interesting. When I ask that question to teenagers, they just kind of shrug their shoulders because when you're a teenager, you're going to live forever. But I ask that question to young couples with their kids. They think about it. I ask it to folks in their middle age. They're thinking about it more. But when you get up over 55 or 60 or 65, suddenly we're in completely different territory. So I ask again, how long do you expect to live? Did you know there's a place on the internet where you can go to find the answer to that question? You can find anything you want on the internet and you can find 
In fact, there are many places on the internet that give you the answer to that question. Listen, when I'm done and not until I'm done, Google this after I'm finished. When will I die? Just Google that. When will I die? The rest of my sermon is done now for some of you. Google that and you will see all, you'll see all these websites pop up. And you just put down there your date of birth. You put down there male or female. And it may ask a couple of other questions like, do you smoke or do you not smoke? Or body mass index, which I think is a rather intrusive question anyway. So it's none of their business, right? So you just put down birth date and male or female. I can go that way easy, all right? You hit the button and it tells you according to the actuarial tables, your predicted date of death. And it's amazing how accurate that is in the aggregate, in the aggregate. So you can do this for anybody. Uh, And so I did that this afternoon just to see what would happen for some famous people. Do you know Taylor Swift? Probably the most popular musician in the world right now. Her predicted date of death, February 24, 2069. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. This may be the wrong audience for me to mention that to. February the 11th, 2046. Mark Cuban, if you watch the Shark Tank, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, May 11, 2032. Tiger Woods, the golfer, October 11, 2049. You know Betty White. Betty White, okay, of the Golden Girls, and she just had a birthday and turned, I think, 95 or 96. I, uh, I, I typed her date of birth in, which was 1922, and her date of death came up March 31, 2001. So she's way over, way over in, way over in bonus time. If you watch, if you watch the, food, uh, the Food Channel, Bobby Flay, beat Bobby Flay, we watched that. So I put him in there. September 21, 2038, Joanna Gaines of Chip and Joanna Gaines of Fixer Upper, July 1, 2057. So many more seasons of Fixer Upper to come, we hope. We hope they'll come back on. The great Shaquille O'Neal. Do you know Shaquille O'Neal of the NBA? December 16, 2044. Nick Foles, quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, winning Super Bowl quarterback. He's got many more years to play until he becomes a pastor because his date of death is November 1, 2062. Then I did it for myself. And I should just, I should just preface this by saying, I have, since the last time I was with you, I have crossed over a heavy milestone or millstone in my life. Last September, I turned 65, which means I am now on Medicare, a sentence I thought I would never say, okay? So I'm up there, up there. I'm moving in your direction if you're above me. I'm coming towards you. You're not coming toward me. So I want you to know, I've actually been, been messing around with this website for a number of years, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when I try it, it always gives me the exact same date for my death, which really bothers me. <laughs> July 8, 2025, I got about, about seven and a half years left, if that's right. When Isaac Watts, 
came to Psalm 90 and turned it into the great hymn, O God, our help in ages past, he wrote this, Time like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. Now, do I think any of those people are going to die on those days? I have no idea. Do I think I'm going to die on July 8, 2025? I know as much about that as I do of the date of Jesus' second coming. I will say this. I think about it. I do think about it. What if I got seven and a half more years and not ten or not fifteen or not twenty? What difference does it make knowing that the sands are slipping away? What difference does it make to know that it is appointed unto man wants to die. Not just in the generalized sense that everybody's going to die someday, but what difference does it make to know that you're going to die someday and I'm going to die someday? How should that affect the way we look at life? Well, that's what this passage is all about. James 4 verses 13 through 17 is a warning to those who would boast because they think they're going to live forever a warning from God. Let's just break the text down very simply. James begins by talking about a foolish boast. In verse 13, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and do business and make a profit. Come, come now. Actually, in the Greek, it's, it's more like, come on, come on, hey, Hey, wake up, wake up, you people who say today or tomorrow, we're going to travel over here or over there. We're going to stay for a year. We're going to do business. We are going to make some money. What do we know about this man that James is talking about? You who say, first of all, whoever this man is, he has a plan. Today or tomorrow, we will travel. That's good. This is a smart man. He's thinking ahead. He's got contingencies. Maybe there's bad weather in Chicago, so maybe he can't fly today. Maybe he's going to fly tomorrow. Maybe he's trying to buy a ticket, and the, and the ticket's going to be cheaper tomorrow than it's going to be today. Maybe he's got a, a business meeting this morning, so he doesn't know in the morning if he's going to leave uh, this afternoon or tomorrow morning, but he knows either today or tomorrow he is going to go, so he's got a plan. He is a smart man. Second, he has a place in mind. Come on now, you who say, today or tomorrow, I'm going to go to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business. I mean, he may be thinking to himself, I'm going to go to Cleveland and open up the Midwest. I'm going to go to New York, and from there, I'm going to move my business over to Europe. Maybe he's thinking, I'm going to go down to Miami, and from there, I'm going to open up all over the Caribbean and down into South America. Maybe he's thinking, I'm going to go to the west coast of San Francisco, because that's a launching point for Shanghai and Beijing and, and Tokyo. What I'm saying is, here's a man that actually has a plan and a place in mind. And more than that, he's saying, I'm going to go there. And I'm going to spend a year. That's a smart thing to do because, you know, if you're going to open a new business in San Francisco, you're not going to be successful overnight. 
You're going to have to get an office. You're going to have to make some connections. You're going to have to go visit some people. You're going to have to do a whole lot of networking. So he's a smart man. He's got a plan. He's got a place. He's got a time limit. He's got a destination. And watch this even more. He intends to make a profit. I'm going to go today or tomorrow to this or that city, and I'm going to stay a year. I'm going to buy and sell, and I am going to make a profit. Write it down. That's exactly right. When you go into business, you ought to go into business to make money. Because let me tell you, if you don't make money, you are not going to be in business very long, right? If you don't make a profit, you're going to find another career. What I am saying is... Everything in this verse looked, looked at from one, one side of it. It's, it's exactly right. Everything this man is doing is commendable. He has a plan. He has a place. He intends to make a profit. So, note carefully, in light of what I'm about to say, my friends, we have to plan, right? We have to think ahead. We have to have a goal. This man is not being criticized for having a plan. You've got to have one. This man is not being criticized for thinking about exactly where he wants to go. You need to think about where you want to go. And he is certainly not being criticized for wanting to make a profit. You're going into business. You better try to make a profit. That is not the issue. So what exactly is going wrong here? I think we get the clue. Come on now. Hello. Come on now. This phrase, you who say. Besides being a smart businessman, he was a big mouth braggart who left God out. For all of his business acumen, for all of his NBA training, for all of his uh, networking skill, for all of his inventive potential, for, for, for all of his uh, ability to use the internet to make millions of dollars, whatever else you can say on the good side, he forgot the most important thing. This man presumes he can control his own future. He presumes that nothing can stop him. This man is a fool because for all of his wisdom, and all of his planning, and all of his networking, and all of his marketing, and all of his strategizing, and all the other good things he's done, he left God out. There is no more fundamental mistake in the world than that. So verse 14, there's a sober reminder. For all of that, James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what it's going to bring forth. You don't know what your life will be. Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you know not what a day will bring forth. What are you? You are like, it's interesting, the word here, it's atmos, atmos. We get from it atmosphere, atmosphere, a vapor, a mist. We had fog this morning, fog, just here, mist, and gone. For you are like a vapor that appears, poof, and then it disappears. There are two things in this verse. Note number one, James is reminding us of the uncertainty of life. Think about the stock market. The last 48 hours, 
Those of you who've been in the market, you've been riding the roller coaster up and down. You made money. Then you lost a ton of money. And then you made some of it back today. And no one knows what tomorrow will bring forth. And those actuarial tables, you know, they're amazingly accurate. That's how come life insurance works. I mean, they've got the science of death. Down the, they've got the science of death figured out down to the 17th decimal point. That is to say, they know that in any given year in the United States of America, a certain number of men age 65 are going to die. And that number is almost down perfectly. They can tell you this many 65-year-old men are going to die. They just can't tell you it's going to be Jeff or Joe or Bob or Jose. They can't tell you that. They can't tell you if it's a stroke or a heart attack. But they can tell you almost down to the exact number. They know how many women in each age category are going to die. That's how life insurance works. They just can't tell you if it's going to be you or you or you. As far as the men goes, they can't tell me if it's going to be me or not. The uncertainty of life. Another way to look at it. What, uh, what would it take to change your life tonight? I know the answer to that question. One phone call, right? One phone call tonight with either really good news or heartbreaking news. And many of us have gotten those phone calls in the past. You can be going headlong down the road and suddenly the phone rings and all of life changes. I mean, who's to say you won't get the phone call tonight? For that matter, who's to say I won't get that phone call? There is the uncertainty of life. No one knows what tomorrow will bring forth. Then there is the brevity of life. Not only is life uncertain, it is oh so short. What is your life? Well, it's a mistress of vapor. It's, uh, well, the best illustration I can think of is when we were kids and it would get really cold in the winter, be cold outside, warm on the inside. And that vapor would form on the inside of the glass. Or you would go, remember this? You'd go, and, and it would make a vapor on the glass. And then you would try to write your name in the glass, but it would disappear quickly. And so you'd have a contest to see who could write their full name in the, on the glass before the whole mist disappeared. I could always get Ray out. I could never get Pritchard out because it would disappear before I could write my last name. That's what life is like. Life is like this, and it's over. She was 69 years old when she got the diagnosis of late-stage pancreatic cancer. She only lived five weeks. Her story made news around the country because during those five weeks, she wrote her own obituary. And after she died, the newspaper published the obituary. And she said, the first sentence was, if you're reading this, I guess it means I died. Fine first sentence. And she told the story of her life. And then she included this. I was here for 69 years. I was born. I blinked. And it was over. I was born. I blinked. And it was over. So, 
You doubt that? Go out to the cemetery and look at any of those headstones. They're all the same. A name, a date of birth, a date of death. And whether it's 20 years or 80 years, what do you get between the date of birth and the date of death? The little dash in between. What is your life? You may say, I'm going to beat the odds. Well, good luck. Good luck. Well, let us know how that works out for you. Um, I found a website. I said it has a slogan at the top. It said, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. It's true. British playwright George Bernard Shaw said, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of every one person dies. So I was thinking about this. When I was six years old, I could not conceive of 65. It might as well have been 500, right? And 65 was, 65 was beyond ancient. It was like, I mean, it might as well have been 500 years. So on Facebook now, on Facebook, because we're all connected on Facebook, I see on there Facebook uh, pictures of all these kids I grew up with 60-some years ago in that small town in Alabama. I do not know. I do not even know who these people are. I look at them, and I do not recognize them. They all just look old to me. None of them look like anybody I remember from when I was a kid. And that bothers me until I look in the mirror. So, a uh, few years ago, I guess now more than a few years ago, almost a decade ago, Marlene and I went on a, uh, some of you may have gone on the Word of Life, took a Alaskan cruise. Harry and Millie Ballback and Ron Stansberry and some of us went up there and cruised into Alaska and came back. And Harry and I met on that cruise several times because the book, which you all ought to have, of course, the, Our Incredible Journey, I was helping him. I met with him during that cruise to help him talk about, who's in the sort of the beginning stages of thinking about that book. And one day on the cruise, he and I got together and we were talking about the, we finished talking about it. And I always like to talk to him about Jack Wurtson. And it's an interesting conversation we had. He said, you know, I've been collecting Jack Wurtson's correspondence. He said, I've got his archives, the letters he wrote from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And, and, and he said, you wouldn't believe it, right? Some of them are really famous people. I mean, really, really famous, particularly people in New York City and stuff. He'd write back and forth. Jack didn't care, you know. He'd witness to them and they'd write him back. It's all pre-email days, you know. So he said, uh, he said, I've got all of Jack's, all of Jack's archives, his letters and all of that. And it just happened at that time, he had an aunt who had died recently, and he was helping handle the affairs of her estate and some of her memorabilia and stuff. And he said, I've been collecting her, her letters and stuff. Then he said this, you know, my aunt's memorabilia is like this, and Jack's is like this. And then he said, they're both gone. They are both gone. In 1908, a man by the name of Henry Twells wrote a poem 
called Time's Paces. When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I waxed more bold, time strolled. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I daily grew, time flew. Soon I shall find in passing on, time gone. O Christ, wilt thou have saved me then? We are all terminal. Do we understand this? We are all terminal. We are all terminal on this death-sentenced planet. The only question is, do we know it? And somebody may say, Pastor Ray, you're really going into this heavy. Well, let me say, I agree with the great Martin Luther, who said, we ought to live every day with the day of our death placarded like a billboard. Live every day with the day of our death placarded before us so we will never forget what is ahead for us. What is then the wise alternative? Verse 15, instead he said, instead of all the boasting and bragging, you got to make plans. You need to have goals, but you shouldn't think that you can do it without God. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. There is a better way, a better way than boasting and a a better way than all this presumption. As the wise man said, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. We've all tried that. We have all tried to tell God our plans. It doesn't work. And by the way, let's be clear. We all ought to make a plan. I bet you all do. And and there's some people who make plans for the year and goals for the year. Done that many times. The old days had the day timer. I guess they still have those. Then you have the wall calendar up there, you know, and and you you write on the calendar, right? Like that. For for a long time, I mean years, every day I took a three-by-five card. And uh, I would write on one side of the three-by-five card what I hoped to do that day. Scrawl on there. And on the back... I took a verse, and whatever I did for my quiet time, I just, I just scrawled it on the back of a three-by-five card. And I just check off the stuff as I was doing it, day by day by day. And I ended up with, I ended up, frankly, I ended up with so many uncontrollable boxes of three-by-five cards that I never read and couldn't read, read anyway because they're all scrawled anyway. I finally had to throw them all away. And it doesn't matter because today there are apps galore, right? Apps galore to help you plan your life. And that's good. Nothing James is saying is arguing against planning and goal setting and thinking what you're going to do first, second, and third. But in your planning, you got to write over all of it if the Lord wills. In the book of Acts, in Acts 18, the apostle Paul came by Ephesus. He stayed there for a while, and and he was with the leaders of the church for a while. And, And they said to him, Paul, please stay in Ephesus. We need you to stay. You know what he said? He said, I can't. I can't. I've got to go. But he said in Acts 18, 21, I'll come back to you again if God wills, which means I want to come back I hope to come back. I'm planning on coming back, but I don't know if I'm going to come back. I can't guarantee it. I make my plans, but they are in the hands of Almighty God. 
You can just jot down if you're taking notes about all of this. Proverbs 16, verse 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but it is the Lord who? Now, the older versions say directs, but the Hebrews actually, and there's nothing wrong with the word directs, but actually the Hebrew's stronger than that. The, the Hebrew is, in his heart a man plans his course. I'm going to go over here and do this, A, B, C, D, E. But it is the Lord who determines his steps. It's a very high view of the sovereignty of God. Man proposes, God disposes. We make our plans. We finally have to say, Lord, if it be your will, this is what we're going to do. We're going to set out this way. Lord, if you want us to go another way, that's what we'll do. So uh, I read about a book published, I think, maybe 15, 16 years ago, maybe less than that. It's, it's still for sale on Amazon called A Hundred Things to Do Before You Die. It was like the ultimate bucket list of a hundred of the greatest experiences in the world, a hundred things to do before you die. And so I, I, I looked at it and I wanted to see how many of them I have done. Well, here are some of the things on the list to go to the Iditarod sled dog race in Alaska, Mardi Gras in New Orleans, Custer's Last Stand reenactment at, uh, at uh, Little Bighorn in Montana, the Roswell, New Mexico UFO encounter, the Vienna Austria Opera Ball, Bastille Day in Paris, Oktoberfest in Germany. This one I really liked, the running of the bulls in Spain. That'd be cool. And then there's one here in Wales. I don't even know what this means. The World Bog Snorkeling Championships. That was an example. Okay, and I thought about that. I'm 65 now, and I've been traveling around the world for about 45 years now, and I, I don't even know what to say. I haven't yet done a single one of that. I got to get a move on if I'm going to hit the list of a hundred things. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The co-author of this book died at the age of 47 in what CNN called a freak accident. He was at home, fell down, hit his head and died. Had only actually done about 40 of the hundred things to do before you die. You know what the book says? The book says, quote, this life is a short journey. Well, that is certainly true. That is certainly true for all of us. Shakespeare was right. We're just actors in the play. We enter. We play our part. We exit stage right. But the play goes on without us. Some of you read the book, uh, by Stephen Covey, the, the essential secrets of life, the things you've got to have. One of them is to begin with the end in mind. To begin with the end in mind. He's right. That is why we must say every day, Lord, this is my plan. This is what I plan to do. But your will be done. Final thing in this passage, a solemn warning, verses 16 and 17. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is a sin to know the good and yet not to do it. What I find interesting, there's that last verse. To know what is good and not to do it. If you know the good thing to do and you don't do it, it is a sin. In this context, what he's talking about is what I've just been saying. It is sin, it is evil, it is folly, 
It is arrogance to live your life as if you are going to live forever. What is the good to say, if the Lord wills? What is the ultimate stupidity to think that you are in control and you will live on this earth forever? We all like to think we're indispensable, but as Charles de Gaulle said, the graveyards are filled with indispensable men. Or to quote that great theologian, Charles Barkley, talking about players in the NBA who try to come back or try to stay too long. He likes to say, Father Time is undefeated. Yes, he is. You know, in ESPN, uh, this has happened a number of times. They'll make, when, when a player gets injured, baseball player, football player, and they'll say, they'll ask the club, when is he going to come back? And they've often said it this way. The club reports, he's day to day. And then they'll say, but then aren't we all? In the U.S., the average life expectancy tonight is 79 years. Quite a bit less than that for men, a few years more than that for the women. If you translate that into months, it's something like this. If you're 35, you have 531 months left. If you're 45, you've got 411 months left. If you're 55, you've got 29, 291 months left. If you're 65, 171 months left. If you're 75, you've got 51 months left. If you're 80 or above, congratulations, you're in bonus time. Some of us aren't going to make it to 81, right? We just don't know who. The heart attack, the stroke, dying in your sleep, cancer comes, some other dread disease, some terrible accident happens, somebody, there's a holdup and we get caught in the wrong place and we're shot. I mean, you just don't know. Some of us won't make it. And on the other hand, some of us are going to be 85 and 90 and 95, and some people, I guess, are going to live to be 100. It doesn't matter. Let me come all the way down here at the end of the sermon. Whether we die tonight or live for 30 more years, make your plans, set your goals, dream big dreams, and then commit it all to God. Let me say this another way, because I think this is what James is saying. Hold lightly what you value greatly because it isn't yours anyway. Your marriage, your kids, your grandkids, your money, your career, your reputation, your health, and at the end of it all, even your life is not your own. Hold lightly what you value greatly because it isn't yours anyway. Anyway, hold it lightly with an open palm, knowing that God has the final word. Some of you know the name Bob Pierce, founder of the great relief organization called World Vision. Came up after World War II, kind of in the early days of Word of Life and Campus Crusade and Navigators. A number of the parachurch movements started right after World War II. And World Vision was started by a man by the name of Bob Pierce and and it grew by the end of his life to a vast worldwide Christian relief ministry. And now, years later, it's much, much larger. Here's the interesting thing about Bob Pierce. 
By his own admission, he was a man with not a great deal of formal education. By his own admission, he sometimes butchered the king's English, didn't have, didn't have all the stuff that you think you have to have to build a worldwide organization. But there, there it was. Near the end of his life, somebody said, well, Bob, how in the world, how in the world a man like you do something like this? Here is his answer. He said, well, all I can tell you is this. I learned very early on to pray this prayer every day. Lord, I give you the right to change my agenda anytime you like without informing me in advance. That's a good prayer. I give you the right to change my agenda anytime you like, and you don't have to inform me in advance. Wait a minute. He already has that right. He's God. The universe is not a democracy, but oh, how we fight against that. Oh, in our personal lives, how we fight against the sovereignty of God. When will we ever learn God doesn't make deals? He doesn't negotiate. Here's the bottom line of it all. We're not in control. We never were. In this, uh, in this race of life, some people start with more and some people start with less. Some people come in with many more advantages, and some people come with much less. But watch this. Death has a way, time has a way of evening everything out, because death comes to all of us. If a man will not say, if the Lord wills, he is destined to live a miserable life and to die a miserable death. As the poet said, your arms are too short to box with God. You're not the master of your fate. You're not the captain of your soul. And the sooner we all realize that, the happier we will be. Or can we just make this whole sermon a lot even simpler if possible? What I used to hear Jack Wurtson say, and he said it many times, our our, our evangelical forefathers explain this another way. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So then, whatever it is you value so greatly, hold it lightly. Make your plans and dream your dreams. But hold them lightly and always say, if the Lord wills. That insurance company, you're in good hands with all state, right? I'm sure that's true. But the best hands are God's hands, right? You're in good hands when you're in His hands. For those hands rule the universe. Put your life in his hands, and you will never be disappointed. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you know, because so many times we get up and we're just confused. We're glad you know about tomorrow. Some of us may get that call tonight. We're glad that you already know that. We're glad that we're being led by higher hands. Lord, help us to trust you. 
Lord, when we are tempted to boast, remind us how frail we are. Lord, we love you. We commit our way to you. And we say, use us. Use us, Lord, for the sake of Christ and his kingdom while we are here on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.